Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Hey, hello there. A few months ago, I had the immense pleasure to record an episode with celebrity chef Roy Yamaguchi. It was just before COVID-19, and I was just coming back from a trip to Hawaii. So much has changed in the world since. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche, and you are listening to episode 43 of my podcast, Flavors Unknown. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US, and every other week I interview trending chef, pastry chef, and bartenders around the country. If you are new to the show, last week was an exceptional panel discussion with three guests, Chef Naomi Pomeroy from Portland, Oregon, Chef Ian Bowden from Staunton, Virginia, and Chef Gabrielle Kreuther from Manhattan. They shared their thoughts about COVID-19 and its impact on the restaurant industry. For this new episode today, I want you to close your eyes and imagine that you are in Ohio at the famous restaurant Roy's and that you have a unique opportunity to meet Chef Roy Yamaguchi. Hi, Chef. Uh, how are you? I'm doing very well, Emmanuel. So I'm very excited to have you um, as a guest on the podcast Flavors Unknown. Thank you so much for uh, being on it today. Oh, no problem. Pleasure to be on the show with you. I have to say that, uh, you know, you are for me and for a lot of people, the father of the Hawaiian fusion cooking style. And in fact, back in 2003, I was one year uh, that I arrived in the country from France. And my first trip to Vegas, I discovered Roy's restaurant there. And I discovered you as a chef and then your cooking style. And I literally fell in love with it. Roy's Vegas at that time was my most go-to restaurant every time I was going, you know, to Las Vegas. So I'm very honored to, you know, to have you today. Oh, a pleasure. Thank you. So I would like you to explain a little bit to us what Hawaiian fusion is and how you came to create it. But I think that maybe first, we should probably start at the beginning. You were born in Japan and your dad was from Hawaii. Your mom was from uh, Japan, and then your grandfather lived in Maui, correct? You spent a lot of time on uh, some of your vacation in, in Hawaii. So I, I'm just curious about how you can tell us how at that time and what kind of kid, you know, where you at that time, what kind of household, you know, you grew up in? Well, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate because I grew up with in Japan uh, on a U.S. Army base. So I was able to live the lives of, you know, maybe the Japanese, how they live, and also the so-called, you know, the American um, military, you know, being on base. So, you know, the best of both worlds. My father, as you, as you mentioned, my father was born and raised in Hawaii, my mother from Okinawa. So, you know, being born and raised in Japan gave me the opportunity to live a great life, being able to taste and to eat a lot of the Japanese cuisine. And at the same time, living on base and, you know, dealing with the commissary, military commissary and stuff, of course, you know, fried chicken. And, you know, hamburgers and French fries with gravy on it and all that stuff. So, you know, there, there were, there were uh, you know, a lot of great times being able to do that. Every other summer, uh, I used to come to Hawaii and then spend time with my grandparents and my uncles and, you know, aunties and relatives. And that's coming to Hawaii and, and to be able to do that. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it was definitely an incredible childhood. So that's why basically, you know, my cuisine today started with those roots the roots of my father and my grandfather's cooking. So being able to taste the flavors of their childhood and their, their upbringing. So, you know, early on in life, all the meals that we ate at home, you know, my father did most of the cooking. And those were the flavors of Hawaii, the flavors of his childhood. So, you know, that was kind of like, in, that's, what, that's what I embrace. So that was a good stuff. Can you give us some example? What kind of uh, food the, was your father or grandfather, you know, cooking? Two important dishes would be chicken hekka, which is kind of like a, a soy sauce and kind of a sugar-based broth kind of sauce, a stew. And the other is my, my, my father's cooking. He used to make beef stew. And, you know, here in Hawaii, there's a lot of tomato that's used as a base in your stew. So, 
you know, some some make it more watery than the others. But my father was more of a uh, kind of a, a soup. So there's a lot of tomatoes involved and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of beef broth and, uh, you know, chunks of uh, stew meat. My dad being, you know, from, you know, Japanese descent, being born and raised in Hawaii, but yet, you know, his roots are in Japan because of my grandfather. You know, he would turn that beef stew into curry the day after. So my father would make a huge pot of beef stew. But the following day, he would put the curry paste and he would make a Japanese curry. So, you know, that's kind of the the flavors that I enjoyed. And of course, you know, maybe one day a week, you know, my father might buy some frozen chicken, you know, fried chicken from uh, that's been, you know, frozen. And he would buy it from the, commiss- the U.S. military commissary and we would have fried chicken. So, you know, a, a very d- diverse kind of uh, in, in, in the Hawaiian and the Asian flair of food. Mm-hmm. And what kind of vacation did you have on Maui and, and Honolulu? When we first landed in Hawaii, with the start of, uh, you, know, you know, spending time with my grandparents, my father would always take us, especially when we landed on, you know, we landed on Oahu. The first thing he would do is take us to the Tamashiro fish market because, you know, that's where, you know, you would get a lot of, a lot of the great fresh fish in Hawaii. So the first thing he would do is from the airport, after my auntie would pick us up, you know, we would end up going to the um, Tamashiro market and my father would buy some, you know, fresh fish, you know, whether it be ahi or whether it be, you know, some other opakapa or mahi, you know, whatever, whatever is available. And then, and then we would take that home to my uh, auntie's house. And, you know, that's what we would have as the, uh, the first uh, meal in Hawaii every, every, every other summer. So can you describe to us the moment when food became really important to you and when you decide, you know, to work, uh, you know, in that space? Since my father really loved to cook, you know, you have to understand that, you know, growing up, my father really loved to cook. And, you know, even though he was a career military man, you know, uh, he, he, was a, he was a civil servant working for the U.S. Army. Uh, he loved to cook. A lot of the inspiration of him cooking came from my grandfather. Okay, my grandfather was a well, you know, versed man. But um, at one point in his life, in the early 1940s, my grandfather actually had a restaurant on the island of Maui. So my father would help him like in the restaurant, not really cooking, but, you know, doing the odds and ends, washing dishes and all that stuff. You know, I guess he had, you know, because of that, you know, he he had this affinity and love for food. So, so as a kid growing up, my father would do all the cooking. He would take us to all these different places. And so we saw that early on in life. And then, so his love was to cook just about every night. So he would do all the cooking. You know, my inspiration of wanting to cook came at a very early age when, you know, my father would have teriyaki um, marinate in the kitchen. And, you know, I would invite my friends over and, you know, we, I, I, would, I would, you know, get the teriyaki marinade and stick a piece of chicken in there or, you know, some vegetables or whatever it may be and to grill it on the barbecue. And, and, and so at an early age, it may be you know, in my 12, 13 years old, 14 years old is when I was, you know, really cooking these little teriyaki sticks and making some, uh, you know, pepperoni, fried pepperoni with, you know, steamed rice and, you know, stuff like that for myself and my, fa- uh, you know, my, my brother and my friends. You know, at one time you decided that this is a profession that you wanted to, to take. So, uh, yeah, well, you know, fortunate or unfortunate, you know, I was very young and, you know, about 16 years old. I took home ec, home, home economics in high school. I took that because a friend of mine goes, Hey, Roy, man, you know, we, we should take home ec because, you know, and I said, well, what, what's home ec? And he goes, well, don't worry about it. We can meet a lot of girls. <laughs> so I said, well, okay, well, that sounds, that sounds pretty good, man. Yeah. So, 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 so I took home ec, but I ended up, you know, if, it's to learn, you know, the basics of cooking. So, so once I, once I took that, I, I, I mean, I really fell in love with, you know, cooking even more, you know, I mean, cooking at home, you know, making that pepperoni and the teriyaki is one thing, but you know, when I was in that cooking class, peeling potatoes and chopping up vegetables and I made a roast turkey and, you know, I, it, it just felt good. And my school counselor goes, Hey okay. boy, you know what? This turkey made, you know, tastes pretty good. So you ever thought about, you know, taking cooking, you know, you know, as, as a course, I mean, uh, it's for something to do in your life. And I said, yeah, it sounds good. And, you know, that's how I got really engaged in, 
and, and going to school and cooking. So, you know, at about 16 years old, when I first kind of like, hey, this might be something that's, you know, for me in the future. And why did you decide to go to uh, the Culinary Institute of America, like in New York? Because, you know, that experience probably was kind of like a, a big shock for you. You were pretty young. I think you were 18, correct, when you went there? And then you were yeah, really yeah. far so, away so from so your family. So I went there, yeah. So, so I went there when I was 18. And, 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 and the story behind that is, is that my school counselor is the one who actually ended up finding all the details about this ecosystem. You know, there's this great cooking school. And let me do some research on it and, you know, and found out that it had moved from New Haven, Connecticut to Hyde Park, New York. And that's the Culinary Institute of America. And he goes, well, you know, this is the best cooking school in the nation. So, you know, you should really think about going to this school. So that's how I got, you know, my got the application, you know, and, and, and got some teachers and from my school to, you know, write me recommendation letters. And I ended up applying and, and that's where I went. But how was that experience far, far away from your family? Oh, I was far away. Yeah, it was, you know, hey, listen, you know, you live in Japan, you know, the closest place, you know, U.S. is Hawaii. And that's, you know, I mean, back then it was eight hours away and, you know, True. 12 hours away by airplane. Yeah. But I said to myself, I mean, that's what you got to do. And, you know, New York was going to be the best place. So I went all the way to New York. It's halfway around the world. But I was incredibly grateful that I was able to have that experience because that's what gave me the foundation. So, yeah, being far away. Being by myself, it was kind of, you know, scary and uh, lonely, but hey, at the, at, the, at the end of the day, you know, that's what needed to be done. So I was fortunate to get that education from there. And then the, obviously the education was really different from like the cooking from your dad or from your, you know, your grandfather uh, or from Japan, because I, I'm, I'm guessing that you learn like the, the basis and, uh, you know, maybe like from French, you know, cooking. Uh, you know, like the mother sauces and all of this. So yeah, it, it exactly. exposes you well, to another yeah, yeah. area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, being in Japan, cooking at home and, you know, the home ex class, you, you know, you make teriyaki and, you know, you, you end up calling it a day. But going to cooking school, you, you know, you learn the foundations of cooking. And what was extremely important looking back to that experience of, of learning was that foundation. You know, do, do you, you learn how to cook, you learn about vegetables, you learn about all the different things that make up what food is, and you study, you butcher, and, you, know, you, you learn about butchering, mother sauces, and all of these things. But the most important thing is to build that foundation, because that foundation is actually the brick that, you know, you're going to be able to stand on and continue to build, you know, your career on. And then you, you went to California after that, because I think your brother were, you know, was located there. And then you work at uh, several, like, famous restaurants. I'm, I'm going just to Name two, like uh, Lescoffier and L'Hermitage. What was those experiences and who were your mentors, you know, at that time? Well, when I was at cooking school, there was a gentleman by the name of Leroy Folsom, and he was the one of the vice presidents of the school. And I was fortunate enough, you know, I mean, you know, unfortunate that I had nowhere to go when it was like Christmas or when it was summer. Because, you know, I would, you know, I worked uh, from the time I got to school so I can, you know, pay for my tuition. So I worked. But then, you know, during the summertime, you know, I, I have nowhere to go or, you know, Christmas vacations and stuff. I had nowhere to go, no money to go anywhere, but, but, uh, it worked. And, you know, maybe on Christmas day, Mr. Folsom and his family, you know, would welcome myself and two other Japanese uh, students to come to his house and, you know, spend time with their family and to, you know, to enjoy that family life. So that was one of the greatest things that happened to me also at school is, is to have that friendship. But, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, he asked me one time, hey, Roy, what are you going to do after you get out of school? And, and one of the things I told him was, I said, you know what, I really want to work in a French restaurant. And he goes, well, why French? I said, well, I don't know. I just have this, for some reason, I just have this thing that where, where I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I really want to cook French. And he goes, well, cooking is something that you should really enjoy, whatever it is. But yet, yeah, of course, if, if you have a craving of, of doing something, you know, in, in, in some sort of cuisine, well, follow it. So after I got out of school, I said to myself, I really want to work in a French restaurant. So one of the first places I worked was a country club. And the other one was uh, Escoffier, because that was one of the top really traditional, traditional French restaurants in the city of Los Angeles, you know, on high top of the, uh, the Beverly Hilton Hotel in a very, very exclusive. And, uh, you know, they would make shrimp Diablo and, you know, 
you know, and filet with uh, Bernays sauce and, you know, and, you know, very, very classical French and French style service, you know, very classical, you know, waiters and tuxedos, et cetera, et cetera, as you mentioned. But the other place that I really fell in love was L'Hermitage, which was another French restaurant uh, later on, you know, that, that I worked there. But, you know, L'Hermitage was a very, very, you know, uh, so-called, you know, nouvelle cuisine. At that time, you know, a nouvelle cuisine was going on and he was, you know, the chef, you know, his his friends were Bocuse and Verger and Trois Gros and all these great chefs. And, and so he was making f- French food that was lighter and more bright and uh, very, very modern and hip to a certain extent, even though the classic look of the restaurant and the feel of the restaurant were still, tr- still traditionally French, but the food was lighter and uh, a lot brighter. So, you know, those two restaurants definitely uh, really shaped my career. And then in 84, you opened your first restaurant called like 385 North, you know, in Hollywood. The 385 North was my first restaurant that I, that I owned and I was a partner in. And, and, and that's, you know, what created my, my so-called cuisine because working in different restaurants before that, you know, I, I kind of like started to create my own style. But 385 North was where I really kind of like uh, let the world know who I am and how, you know, I can be defined. And it, it, when people taste my food, to be able to know who I am through my food. So was it already like the roots of like the Hawaiian fusion, the things that you did, like in when you opened your first, uh, your Roy's, you know, under your name restaurant in uh, Honolulu, like in 88? Was it already like the, the premise of, of that? Yeah, so 385 was pre-Roy's. It was the 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 first place that I really showcased, you know, what my cuisine is all about. And the start of presenting my, my cuisine, which was, you know, at that time, French-Japanese, because being born and raised in Japan, and of course, the French uh, that I really enjoyed and loved. So combining those flavors together is how I first started. And, you know, kind of the Euro-Asian type of cuisine, you know, b- blending and melding the flavors of Asia and the flavor, well, especially Japan in the French cooking. Can you give us an example of a, like, a, you know, what it, what it was, like, a, you know, on the menu? Well, maybe like you know, a- one of the first dishes, yeah, one of the first dishes I made that I thought, I thought it was pretty cool was I made a duck salad. So, you know, I, I got, I got the duck breast and cook it medium rare, medium, and then, you know, slice it. But then I would make a vinaigrette using, using you know, raspberry vinegar, and then what I would do is, uh, you know, saute some garlic and shallots and and uh, raspberry vinegar and some uh, walnut or hazelnut oil and then some, you know, a lot of basil. And then I would um, mix it with, uh, you know, some a lot of great greens, you know, that were coming on during the California cuisine movement movement in, in California, from, you know, fresh from the farmers. And then I would make some pot stickers. So, so that was like the Japanese element is, is, is making, you know, pork pot stickers with a little bit of duck in there. And then I would saute it and it'll make it crispy. So, so I would have a salad with pork pot stickers, some, uh, medium rare duck and, uh, raspberry vinaigrette. You know, that was kind of the, the, the so-called French, you know, Japanese, you know, mm-hmm. kind of element. Yeah. And, and for the people listening and they said, oh, you know, pot sticker, we see that a lot, but. This is, was back in 1984, so that that was uh, really like the, the probably the beginning of uh, you know the combination of the of both. So that's that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, and back then in '84, I mean, the, the only place you found pot stickers were in a Chinese restaurant or a Japanese yeah. restaurant. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. And then so '88, it's a critical, obviously, date for you because uh, you celebrated like uh, two years ago, like your 30 years anniversary of. Uh, Roy's restaurant. So congratulations. And uh, you created this uh, so-called like Hawaiian fusion concept. So how did you come up with and with it and you created it? I'm I'm guessing obviously this is all the influences, but can you tell us a little bit like the journey? In 1987, I moved to Hawaii. So right after I closed uh, 385 North, I moved to Hawaii because I wanted a restaurant in Hawaii because I felt that that's my upbringing you know, a lot of Asian culture here. So in, in 1984, when I first opened Roy's, I wanted a restaurant that not only served, you know, the, the flavors of my past, which was French, 
in Japanese, but I wanted to add the other elements because while I was at the 385 North, I was, you know, studying a lot of different things and, and trying to learn more about the other Asian countries and, and more about Europe. So, so when I opened Roy's, I wanted a restaurant that number one, have a state of mind of Hawaii, but yet use all the ingredients, you know, the local ingredients from Hawaii. And, and then at the same time, you know, concentrate or, or have the emphasis on, on seafood because, you know, that's what Hawaii is known for. But yet at the same time, all the, all the great products, fresh products like, you know, fruits that are from the island. So I started this restaurant, Roy's, keeping that in mind. So I started to add a lot more of the uh, Filipino or Korean or Chinese, Vietnamese flavors into what I was currently doing from the uh, 385 North days and added more, of course, of, of the European element. So uh, really a, a global kind of flair, but yet utilizing the ingredients from Hawaii. Was it like a, sorry, like a success from day one? Because obviously everyone knows about like the fantastic explosion and your growth and, you know, all the, the restaurant Roy's that you had, you know, everywhere. So was it like um, a, a hit from, from day one? Well, let's this, this make it this way. You know, I was, I, was, I was very fortunate because about six months prior to opening Roy's, there was a feature article in Bon Appetit magazine. It was about 11 or 13 pages. And, the art, and, and this whole article was about me and, and not about a specific restaurant, but what I was doing up until then. So when I opened Roy's, people were, you know, waiting to see what I was doing. So I was very, very fortunate that, that something like that had happened. So that was kind of like the marketing, you know, tool that, that worked to my advantage. So, so when I opened, people started to write about, Hey, there's this guy named Roy Maguchi that opened uh, a restaurant in the suburb because where we opened the original, in the original Roy's is, yeah, it's is yeah, it's far away from, far away from, you know, um, from the hustle bustle of the city. It was more in oh, a Dudu, residential Dudu, yeah. area. Yeah. I just went there in fact, a few weeks ago. So yeah. No, okay. <laughs> it so great. it's a uh, it was a it's, it's a driving distance. So, anyways, yeah. to, to make a long story short, people, you know, were looking forward to it. So we weren't incredibly busy from the start, but you know, we were busy, fortunately, because people wanted to see what I was doing and 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 to see what was going on. So, you know, the, the, yes, the restaurant was busy. Like in the following years, you were part or you created like uh, this group that was called like the Hawaiian Regional Cuisine. And so what, what was the main mission, you know, from this group? I was fortunate, again, uh, w when I was, you know, living in Los Angeles and working in Los Angeles, I was able to go to see the, the, uh, the, the so-called California cuisine movement, where, you know, a lot of the chefs got together and talked and buy local ingredients, especially when I worked at uh, L'Hermitage, the chef owner, Jean Bertrandou, and, you know, the chef de cuisine, Michel Blanchet. Nobody grew haricover. So, so he started to grow haricover and he found out how, you know, somebody was growing it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he wanted the, you know, he, he wanted the Muscovy duck and he wanted his own foie gras and wanted, you know, nice, uh, you know, pigeon and the pigeon. And, you know, so, so he was doing all of that stuff, you know, getting together with different people, growers and, and farmers and, and ranchers. So. When I came to Hawaii, I said to myself, you know, it, it would be kind of interesting if, if chefs would get together and with Peter Merriman, who was already, you know, doing a lot of that stuff, you know, a chef, you know, working with growers and, and stuff like that, you know, we were able to put, put a group of chefs together who were, you know, had the same kind of uh, goal and vision in mind about, you know, working with local farmers and getting, you know, getting the fresh ingredients and working with local ranchers, et cetera. So, so that was the start. The very, very start of this Hawaii regional cuisine of, of getting people together and being more conscious of use, using and utilizing and working with local products. Yeah, because I mean, there's a great, obviously, local product in Hawaii with obviously fish and shellfish, but there's coffee in Kona, there's macadamia nut in, on Big Island, there's obviously the very well known now, like the sweet Maui onion and so on. But uh, I've read, I think that you were saying that they were not really used by the chef, you know, at that time that uh, they were, you know, uh, had restaurants on the island and most of them were European. So 
Why do you think that's what was the reason for them not to um, to to use like those and never those local ingredients? Well, you know, back in the old days, you know, going back 30 years and before Roy's open, there was a lot of European chefs in Hawaii and working in hotels because hotels were the places to go. You know, independent restaurants weren't really the, you know, it was the hotel restaurants there that were the spotlight. And the European chefs wanted to bring in ingredients from far away because that's what made their restaurant special, right? No, to get no. Dover sole, to get veal mm-hmm. chops, to get, uh, no. you know, uh, beef from, you know, somewhere else, to get, you know, the Petrali sole or get the Atlantic cod or, you know, the Atlantic salmon or whatever it may be. Those were uh, really a selling point and making their restaurants glamorous. Whereas, you know, when I first opened, I said to myself, you know what? I want to use local ingredients. Because I saw that movement in California. So I said, I want to use that. I want to use Hawaii's local ingredients and showcase Hawaii. And that's why, you know, the Hawaii Regional Chefs Movement was extremely important because we wanted to showcase what Hawaii had to offer, not somebody from far away or products from far away, but products from our shores. Let's talk a little bit about your creative process. So obviously your inspiration comes from probably Hawaii, but can you be specific and give us maybe some some example about like your source of inspiration and how do you go about creating like a, a dish, you know, on, on the menu? To create, you have to be inspired. And to be inspired, I think, I think, you know, you have to enjoy life, number one. And two, you know, you have to love what you do and, you know, being fortunate to be in Hawaii where, you know, you know, there's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of, you know, just the greatness of being here is, is, is just inspires me to do good on a day-to-day basis and to learn and to progress. So for me, finding more local ingredients, you know, to find a, a, a source for better things. But the first thing I always do is, you know, look for things, uh, look for ingredients that, you know, I want to work with. And to, and not everything has to be, how can I say it? Not everything has to be, you know, really like crazy and uh, has to be conceptually, you know, 14 steps or anything. You know, something simple is, is what I really enjoy. So, you know, whether it be a piece of fish like a, a opaka paka or whether it be, you know, a moi or whether it be kind of a reef fish or whatever it may be. You know, I look, I look at the ingredients and then I try to figure out, you know, how can I best present that, whether it be steamed or, you know, seared or whether it be grilled, depending on the fat or the leanness of the fish itself or how I want to present it. And then at the same time, do I want it more refreshing or do I want it as an appetizer and served raw or do I want it cooked and more meaty? A good example might be, you know, I really enjoy the local uh, swordfish. It's called a shutomi. And, you know, what, what I try to do is look for the smaller eye, meaning that I look for the, um, the fillets from the swordfish to be not a huge piece of swordfish where, you know, the loin could be, say, you know, five, six, seven, eight inches in diameter. You know, I, I may look for a swordfish that's smaller that may have, a, you know, three or four inch diameter and, and, and use that as a presentation. You know, visually, I can look at that and say, OK, I want a piece of fish that may be three inches in diameter. I want it in two inches in thickness and I want to make a steak. So some of those thought process comes out like that. And then I want to, and then I say to myself, well, I want a, a hard sear or a soft sear, or I want to put a crust on it or no crust, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, say a macadamia nut crust for your audience that might want something simpler. And then, you know, salt and pepper, and then, you know, serve it, you know, whether I want to serve it, you know, cooked all the way or maybe a medium rare or a medium. And then, you know, do I want a sauce that's a lot lighter? Uh, could be a vinaigrette, you know, utilizing, you know, maybe, you know, the local uh, lilikoi, you know, the uh, passion fruit. Or do I want a, a, a more of a, a richer sauce that may have some uh, cream in it? Or, you know, with maybe Chardonnay or maybe with, um, you know, in, or, or, or do I want... A more of a uh, hearty sauce to make it completely different for someone to you know eat it with a red wine. So so making a, uh, a, a sauce made with demi, or do I want a Chinese style where you know steaming it and serving it with a kind of a, a soy braised uh, sauce like ginger and garlic and green onions, 
that's cooked with soy and a little bit of sweetness, maybe palm sugar or sugar, and then, uh, you know, making a sauce like that. So, you know, that's, so that's the creative process I go through. All these different elements and different things that come to my mind on, on how, I, how do I really want to present it? What do I want? You know, light or more of a rich dish? So if we take one of your kind of like signature dish that you have on the menu, which is like the wood smoked Sichuan style ribs, which are delicious. <laughs> so well, uh, what, was, what was the inspiration behind, you know, behind that dish? Well, number one, my father, when I was growing up, used to make baby back ribs. He would make it with uh, kind of a vinegary thing. So he would make it with uh, black pepper and he would get, um, you know, uh, garlic salt butter and, and, and red wine vinegar and he would you know marinate the pork ribs and then he would grill it and, and then he would steam it and make it soft so you know that was stuck to my mind but then I said to myself you know I want a rib that's more kind of like um, you know kind of you know more Asian and so I said to myself hey maybe you know by putting you know the hoisin sauce and oyster sauce and soy sauce ginger garlic green onions yeah, a little sugar, you know, maybe I can make this marinade that I can, you know, call it my own and, you know, make it Asian. So that's the process I went through. So, so getting that marinade made and then I said to myself, you know, I really want to make it kind of like stand out a little bit more. So, you know, I'm going to smoke the ribs first and, uh, you know, so I would smoke it in Kiave wood, you know, that's a local, local wood, okay. local tree here, local wood. Mm -hmm. So smoke it in Kiave for a little bit and get kind of a smokiness in there. And then rub it with this marinade, make it Asian. And then, you know, I would uh, grill it again, you know, so it's twice cooked, get more flavor in there. So, and that's, that's how that was developed. Mm, gosh, I am like um, getting hungry now, just listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your uh, latest ingredient obsession? There really isn't, you know, one in, in particular right now. But, you know, I just like working with just a bunch of, you know, different ingredients. To me, how can I say it? You know, I'm a type of individual that just enjoys cooking just different things. And sometimes, I, you know, like, like uh, I go to the market and I see the different, you know, at farmer's markets, I see some different things that pop up from time to time. Or sometimes, you know, people have, you know, different things that are available, whether it be the poha berries, sometimes you see. You know, they're, they're like the gooseberries. So when I see boha berries, I would buy them. That may only be for, uh, you know, one day or, 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 or could be for a week. Or maybe, you know, the other day, you know, I uh, went to the market and I found some really nice hearts of palm. You know, so, you know, working with hearts of palm, whether it be I shave it, fry it to make these little crisps, or whether I, you know, shave it and uh, use it for a salad, or whether I shave it or use it as a topping, or whether I puree it. And use it as a um, kind of a, you know, instead of a creamy potatoes or, you know, risotto, you know, I make a creamy, you know, making a creamy hearts of palm kind of um, a bed as a garnish or just different things that I see that, you know, that's kind of cool. Or I go, hey, maybe, you know, I really want to work with that and maybe maybe do something different with that. I just wanted to, um, for you, maybe to describe a little bit some of the great local produce that uh, Hawaii has, like maybe that the people that are thriving there. You know, obviously, I was saying that, you know, the fish, the shellfish and, you know, coffee, people heard about macadamia nuts and the sweet Maui onion. But what are like the other treasures that, um, you know, the Hawaiian islands can uh, provide? Just like anywhere else in the world. I mean, there, you know, there, there's a lot of great things. I mean, you know, of course, coffee is... This is one of the things that we have great here. Of course, chocolate, the cacao, the chocolate is nice. Hawaii now is, you know, making their own beers. So there's a lot of uh, breweries out in Hawaii. Wine is still, uh, there's pineapple wines and stuff like that. But, you know, as far as the other types of wine, of course, we're, we're still far away from that. There's lots of great fish, uh, definitely. And there's a lot of um, uh, ranchers, you know, that are here. So, you know, we have our local beef, you know, local lamb. Of course, local lamb is, is hard to find, but, you okay. know, a lot of great, great local lamb and, you know, uh, venison. Uh, oh, and then wow. there's, yeah, yeah, good venison, you know, some, some, uh, uh, you know, hogs. The pigs are uh, very sure, good. Sure. Yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. You see them and on Kauai, you see them everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the, the, the chickens, you don't want, uh, chickens are good, but you got to make sure you get the, uh, the farmer's the chicken. 
Yeah, not <laughs> yes. the uh, the roadkill. Not the one on the side of the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not the one on the side of the street because yeah, they they are everywhere <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too much meat on those. I enjoy you know the hearts of I always enjoy the hearts of palm, the warabi, the fiddlehead ferns. You know, I think are great here in Hawaii. Some people are doing you know a little bit of caviar. You know, a lot of good stuff going on. So you are the co-founder of the Hawaii Food and Wine Festival with the chef Alan Wong. So, and it's going to be the 10 years anniversary in, in October this year. So what was the initial idea behind this project when you started it? The festival would be 10 years. So at that time, you know, it, uh, she wasn't my wife, but, uh, you know, I had met this lady and her name is Denise back then, Denise Hayashi, and we ended up getting married. But, but she's the one who had the experience working with, you know, local government, state government, the city council, et cetera. And, you know, she was doing, uh, putting together, you know, large events for the uh, Bishop Museum and uh, over here in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, and, and she was working for the Bishop Museum and she had worked for the, uh, the cruise line industry, et cetera. But her background was governmental affairs and fundraising. So at that time, Chef Ellen and I were doing events for the Farm Bureau the farm community and making more awareness towards farming, et cetera. I said to myself, maybe we should really do a big event and, and, and have a food festival because I used for all of our anniversaries for Roy's, we used to do large parties. You know, we would have 300 people, 500 people. And then some of them, we had thousand people. So I said, Hey, maybe, maybe make that into a bigger scale and maybe have a Hawaii food and wine event where, you know, we can invite a lot of chefs. And that's how it all started with this idea that, you know, we can have a huge event, but keep in mind not to promote one entity, not to promote a hotel or a restaurant, but to promote the state. That was extremely important for us is to have an event where we can get people together, the restaurants, the hotels, the fishermen, you know, the farmers, community, and have this festival where we can make awareness of what Hawaii has to offer. So it's a win-win for everybody, people that are involved in the organization and the people that can benefit from the organization. And hopefully the state would benefit. And, and when the state benefits, everybody wins. So, so no, that cool. was the premises behind. Clever. Yeah. There's this Hawaii Food and Wine Festival. So the first year we had about 40 chefs who, who participated in the festival. That's local talent mainly local talent, and we had some international and very little international, but then we had a lot of, you know, mainland domestic uh, chefs, you know, and we invited friends that we knew. So we invited like Jonathan Waxman, you know, Nancy Silverton, Dean Faring, and, you know, the, you know, chefs that, that, that Chef Allen and I knew and were involved with, you know, and they're our friends. So we called upon them to, you know, help us launch the Hawaii Food and Wine events with, with, with other local chefs from the community. That's how we started. And today, you know, this will be a 10th year. And now we have, you know, last year, the, our, our ninth year, we had 110 chefs, uh, almost 120 chefs and with about almost 10,000 people attending. Um, yeah, wow. and, and yeah, and, and, and the events are great. And what differentiates our event from, you know, other events is that we promote the culture of Hawaii and we promote Everybody, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that it's a win-win and we want people to come to Hawaii and we want the people in Hawaii to really enjoy and understand what Hawaii has to offer and, and the landscape of how important food is to the state and, and how important the state is important for us. So it, it's been great. So what are the, what are the islands that are involved in, uh, in the Food and Wine Festival? Well, the Food and Wine Festival, we have the Big Island. And we have um, uh, Maui, and then we have, of course, Oahu. So those are the three major islands where, where we have, and we have different events throughout the island. So, you know, at, at, on the big island, this year it would be at the uh, Manalani Resort. That's the, uh, the Auberge Collection. And then over on Maui, it's at the uh, Kanapali Resorts. So, you know, they're over at the, uh, the Hyatt there and the Sheraton there. And then, you know, we have a, this will be our 22nd. I think a uh, golf tournament, uh, a Roy's golf tournament, which we folded into the uh, Hawaii Food and Wine Festival. 
Kanapali uh, Golf Course, and then we have on Oahu different events. So it's it's kind of cool because you know we got Ko'olina Resorts, you know the Four Seasons, and then the uh, the the Disney Hotel, and you know those two kind of put together is this event and right on the beach, you know, and and then we have uh, over on you know in Waikiki, you know we have the Hyatt, and yeah, just great, you know we have the Hale Kalani, we have a huge gala there, and the Outrigger has you know we have this uh, this this brunch. You know, we have after party events and uh, it's just, it, it's just some, you know, cool stuff, you know. And, and you this know, is in October, right? Yeah, this is in October. And it, okay. we have this really cool, because the events are all different, you know, some, some of the events are more high end gala. And then we have events that are more wine centric. And then, you know, we have this one that's more mixology centric. So it's kind of hip and cool. And, you know, Chef Morimoto, you know, are friends of ours. And, you know, so we go to his hotel. Where he has his restaurant, the uh, Aloha Lani. So, you know, we have it at the poolside and it's kind of hip because it's cool and, you know, it's outdoors and it's by the pool and it's really modernish. And then the, with the emphasis on craft cocktails and open air and, you know, this cool vibe and music. I mean, it's, it's, it's cool stuff. Okay. So the people should come <laughs> in October. Well, people, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Definitely. <laughs> So what's next for you? What's um, that um, new project that uh, that you can share with us? Well, there's really no new project right now. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I, I've been you know do, doing a lot of different things with the eating house concept and you know our humble market kitchen. You know, over on Maui, it's all about continuing making your dining experience better for your guests. So continually, you know, I work on that. And of course, you know, there, there's projects that come up, and you know, people ask me and stuff like that, but. You know, my, my concentration has always been on, you know, number one, uh, making sure that, you know, all of our guests, when they come to our restaurant, get the, uh, you know, memorable experience that they deserve. So that's that, that I, that's what I continually work on to make better. So you're talking about concentration. Um, I mean, may I ask you uh, the reason why you pull out from like the mainland and like everything now is concentrated in, you know, in Hawaii, you know, all your restaurants. I mean, you have it in Guam as well. but you know what what was the like the reason yeah because you know at the same time you know i've been traveling a lot and you know i've been doing a lot and i still don't don't get me wrong i still do a lot of that and still you know do a lot of uh you know work with the restaurants uh on the mainland but you know living here and 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 you know i have my hands full with the royce concept it's personal attention to detail that makes your restaurants better and better and that's what we need to continually thrive on and work okay. on okay yeah, yeah so you still have like a Somehow, like a like a connection with the the restaurants in uh, in mainland. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to uh, finish the uh, the interview with uh, a series of rapid fire questions. So uh, I hope to meet you next time I'm in Hawaii. But uh, in the meantime, <laughs> let's let's finish the interview with uh, with those. So you and I, you know, are going on a tasting tour in Hawaii. So. I'm curious, where will you take me? So I guess you probably have to pick an island first, but what are like the, maybe like the five food location that you will take me to? Well, you got to have something uh, local like uh, Elena's, you know, Hawaiian food, you know, uh, over on Oahu, uh, a great place, uh, you know, going out to tasting the food trucks along the way to the North Shore. So, you know, whether it be Giovanni's or, you know, I mean, there's... Uh, all kinds of ones, you know, Michael's uh, barbecue and of course going out to Maui and being able to, um, go into the, the, the mill house is kind of cool in that area or going over to uh, Mama's fish house, which is a must, uh, a must, must, must for anybody that comes to the islands to go to Maui and, and go to the uh, Maui's Mama's fish house, Mama which, fish is incredible, house yeah. which is incredible. And just, you know, going into the sugar plantations and seeing what they do. You know, in the in, in the in the farmlands uh, out there in um on the, on the different islands, and you know, going fishing, man, you got to go fishing. No, ah, yeah, you like that, huh? Correct that you yeah, like. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to fish. Yeah. So, what do you fish? Well, you know, well, um, usually I get a maybe a boot or a old tire or something, but there <laughs> 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 you feel cast out there. But you know, of course, hopefully you can get some nice, nice ono or ahi or or mahi mahi. Mahi mahi, yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, so maybe next time I go, then you you take me fishing. <laughs> <Okay>. So, <laughs> so what's your favorite guilty pleasure food? 
there's really nothing guilty about uh, anything, but you know, uh, yeah, because it's, it's not a guilt. But you know, I enjoy because you know, as I get older, you know, I can't really eat a lot or 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 you know, stuff myself to to being crazy. But you know, eating carbs is uh, is definitely something that I really enjoy doing, even though I don't you know try not to. But you know, sure, just any type of plate lunch with a lot of gravy on it. Oh, I mean, that's that's <laughs> a, that's that that's that's the way to go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what what are like the three cookbooks that uh, inspired you the most, uh, you know, in your career? I would say, you know, number one would be, you know, the, uh, well, from the Culinary Institute of America, definitely, you know, because, uh, you know, they're the ones that, you know, kind of like, you know, put the, um, put my career on path, right? The the professional chef, that's extremely important. Any any one of Nobu uh, Matsuhisa's cookbook because Nobu and I have been friends for now we we've been friends for about thirty thirty seven thirty eight years. Oh wow! And um, yeah, and 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 I just you know I just saw him recently and uh, you know we we uh, we shared dinner together at his uh, restaurant Nobu's over here in, in in Hawaii on Oahu, and he's just a very 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 uh, just a good hearted man, and uh, he's just to me. You know, I look at chefs as a talent, but, but, you know, that has talent, but, you know, I, I, I look at chefs that, um, that really have the, um, the heart and the beauty of, of, of people trying to help other people. So he has that beauty as a great human being. So I look at his cookbooks because, you know, I can see his personality in that book and, uh, which makes me happy. And, um, uh, I'm very, very proud that he's, he's, he's been able to do what he does. And the other one would probably be, you know, uh, Michael McCarty's California Cuisine Cookbook from many, many, many years ago. Because to me, you know, he was one of the one of the guys that really started this whole movement of being avant-garde and, you know, art in your restaurant, you know, just producing great food and having a lot of chefs and working in your kitchen that had talent. You know, a guy like, you know, Ken Frank and, you know, Jonathan Waxman, Nassine Silverton, Jim Brinkley, Zach Brule. Uh, Gordon Nakarado, Sang Yuen, you know, all these great chefs have come from Michael's Kitchens. It's, it's incredible. So can you give me three dishes that you could not live without cooking or eating? Well, number one, ramen, definitely. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. I just love ramen, any, any type of ramen. Uh, and, and any type of uh, so ramen would be number one. And, and uh, you know, and believe it or not, just a simple pasta. You know, I mean, I love noodles. So, and then the other one would be anything with rice. But, you know, for me, I like anything to do with raw egg and hot rice. Not fried and rice. No. no, no, just, just plain white rice. Okay. And, okay. and, 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 and a fresh egg yolk from a nice fresh chicken. And anybody that can get it is to put, uh, or want to try it is the natto. I have natto in my refrigerator. 365 days a year. There's always a natto in my refrigerator. Okay. Which is the fermented Japanese beans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the strangest things that you have ever eaten? Um, I don't know. It's one of the few things that I've eaten in my life that I don't really care for, maybe because I just haven't gotten a knack for it, would be the durian. Oh, for yeah. For some reason. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. It's very potent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very Kinda potent. Know. So, you yeah. know, I mean, it's creamy and it's nice, but for some reason, yeah. it just, you know, I, I never really... In, Got to really enjoy it. One thing that I, you know, earlier on was, you know, I was eating crickets, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not bad. So you you ate them like a grill like this or like um, kind of like a flour as a base for, you know, oh, no, pasta or other things? Mostly fried and having a very, very kind of a sweet, you know, soy sweet kind of like um, coating on it. If it's too crunchy, I don't really care for it because it's just, I don't know. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, it's just too crispy. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather have it a little bit less crispy and, and a little bit more juicy. So, you know, I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You would like to take risks. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then, and then, you know, I mean, um, drinking the gallbladder juice from a fish and also from, uh, from a snake. I mean, that was kind of different, but, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. That I never even heard of. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> where, did, yeah. where did you do that? So, in, in uh, which parts of the world? China and Korea. Okay. Wow. Yeah, many, many years ago. Yeah. Okay. What's your pet peeves in the kitchen? Oh, just, you know, I, I like for people to be clean, you know, just clean environment. You know, to me, 
clean kitchen is a happy kitchen. And to me, you know, clean as you go along and to, you know, present yourself nicely. You just have to have a very, very sanitized uh, working area because that, you know, affects, you know, everybody. So, so that's definitely my pet peeve. Okay. Cleanliness. So, chef, I want to say probably with another good accent, but mahalo. <laughs> mahalo. So, thank yes. you so much, and um, aloha, of course. Aloha, yeah. I I was very very excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, it was a honor, you know, for me to have you as a guest. Um, I hope you enjoy the conversation, and I'm sure the guests, you know, I mean the the listener enjoyed the conversation as well. Oh, it's a pleasure to be on your show, Emmanuel. And, you know, thank you very much for the uh, invitation. And, uh, you know, I'm always happy to talk about food and talk about because, you know, everybody cooks differently. And I think everybody has different ways of cooking and, you know, everybody enjoys. But at the end of the day, you know, to me, cooking is extremely important. I think it's an international language. It brings people together. Food brings people together. And when, when they can share a bowl of rice or a, a piece of bread, you know, they're able to relax more and they're able to, communicate better i think and become friends so i think it's uh it's great that you have this podcast that, you, that you're able to show the world or teach the world or to have people understand that there's different ways of enjoying food and talking about food and what what's more important or not important and everybody has their own opinion so it's great thank you so much i, I really appreciate those uh, very kind words Recording this episode was a unique moment for me, and I hope it was a great moment for you too. Next time I am in Hawaii, and hopefully it will be in 2021, I would love to meet Chef Roy Yamaguchi in person. You can find the show notes from this episode on the website flavorsunknown.com, and please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Flavors Unknown. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. And please share it with your friends and colleagues as I always welcome new listeners to the show. Next episode will put us back into the COVID-19 context. I will have Farmer Lee Jones from the Chef's Garden on the show. And he will tell us how they pivoted their business model due to the coronavirus. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review. Find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. And if you want to join the Flavors Unknown community, search Flavors Unknown on Instagram and Twitter.